All right, well, welcome back. We're going to uh, get started with the last talk. Um, I know it's been long, and uh, it's all good stuff. It's all great stuff, as a matter of fact. And so, as we begin this final talk, let's uh, begin with a prayer and a reading from Scripture. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Jesus proposed another parable to them. He said, the kingdom of heaven may be likened to a man who sowed good seed in his field. While everyone was asleep, his enemy came and sowed weeds all throughout the wheat, and then went off. When the crop grew and bore fruit, the weeds appeared as well. The slaves of the householder came to him and said, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? Where have the weeds come from? He answered, an enemy has done this. His slave said to him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? He replied, No. If you pull up the weeds, you might uproot the wheat along with it. Let them grow together until harvest. And at harvest time, I will say to the harvesters, First collect the weeds and tie them in bundles for burning, but gather the wheat into my barn. Heavenly Father, we know that in your providential plan, evil and good coexist in this world. And we know that we can respond to them in one of two ways. Either we can live by faith in your Son, or by fear in the power that evil has in this world, and fear of the prince of this world. And yet, Lord, we know that this battle is already won, and that your Son is the final word. We ask that during this time you bless us and give us the faith to overcome all our fear so that we may truly be free. We ask this through intercession of our mother who lived faith better than anyone as we pray together. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. It's good to be with you. I am the Father Waltz, the lesser, I like to call my, because I'm younger. You know, James the lesser was the younger one. Uh, But I've been ordained longer, which is great, because I hold that over my brother forever. (laughs) It's actually kind of funny, when we got ordained, uh, he was the deacon at my first Mass as a priest, and in order for the deacon to proclaim the gospel, he has to first ask for the priest's blessing. And so the older brother, right, turns around and looks at me and he's got his hands folded and he's like, Father, you're a blessing. And he bows down like this. And I just stood there and was like, this is great. (laughs) And I just kept the hallelujah is being sung and I'm smiling and all the teasing and, and, and fighting. It's all being healed inside of me. And at this point, he looks up and he goes, now. So, we have a good relationship uh, now. <laughs> you know, what he's, when he was talking, especially in his last talk, he said, uh, what he spoke about, you can or cannot believe. You know, some of it is approved by the church, some of it's not. It's not necessary for salvation. Uh, it's an insight into the times that we live in. What I'm going to talk about you have to believe. 
everything I'm going to talk about, you have to believe. And I have sort of a love-hate relationship with, with prophecy and end-of-time stuff. My brother knows this. Because in one aspect, I love it. Because it gives us all this insight into the times we live in. And the other way is I don't like it because Jesus is the final word. You know, John of the Cross said that Jesus Christ is the final word of God the Father. He has nothing more to say. He has said it all in his Son. And either we believe that he is the Son of God, the Savior of the world. Or he's just, as C.S. Lewis said, a lunatic or a liar. He's got to be either God. He says, Lord, lunatic or liar. He's got to be one of them. Because the stuff he said was so bizarre. And the, the way he lived was so unconventional. I mean, Cardinal Dolan one time gave a great talk and he said that when St. Peter, he really didn't understand Jesus until he died. Do you guys remember how Peter died? Yeah, he was crucified upside down because they were going to crucify him in the Circus Maximus in Rome. And he said, I, I don't feel worthy to be killed, martyred. Same way my Savior was. And so they flipped him upside down and they crucified him. And Colonel Dolan said, it was in that moment that Peter looked out. And as he looked out into the world and he was flipped upside down, he realized for the first time the fulfillment of what Christ came to do. Take this world and flip it on its head. You only live by dying. You only get by giving away. G.K. Chesterton called Christianity the great religion of paradox. And yet, we realize that in living it, all of these paradoxes are true. So either he's real or he's not. And if he's real, then the faith that we should have should cast out all fear. We have nothing to be afraid of, you guys. He's conquered everything. The greatest thing that we suffer from is sin and death. And he has overcome that. And he, that should inspire deep, deep faith and freedom. But the problem is, is that most Christians live in a state of fear. It is fear that Americans, has caused the majority of Americans to surrender their critical thinking skills. Their independence. And become convinced that the current state of affairs is something unlike we've ever known in history. And you know what? It is. The times we live in are unprecedented. They really are. We have stuff that, that rivals anything that people could have thought about even 50 years ago. But there is one constant that never changes for humans. Fear. I don't care if you were in first century Palestine being crucified because of your belief in Jesus, or if you're in the Middle Ages, the golden age of the church, and the Renaissance, and the Sistine Chapel. There's always fear. It surrounds us. It encapsulates us. It's the fundamental characteristic of the fallen human person. So how should we respond? Because based on what my brother said, there could be a lot of fear in your heart. There's a lot of crazy stuff that could happen. Do we throw up our hands and say, what can I do about it? Or do we hunker down in our little communities and shun the world and everything in it? Or do we just live in fear of what might happen and try to control everything in our lives? A friend of mine sent me a quote from C.S. Lewis 
And man, this was right during the COVID pandemic, right at the beginning. And he sent me this quote, and I just, it's, it's a little lengthy, but I want to read it to you. It's in 1948, because this is post-atomic bomb. And the whole country is living in fear of another atomic bomb being dropped. They saw the power of the first one, and they're living in fear. And they had all types of, you know, little emergency protocols that they were practicing in case the Russian, the Soviets dropped one. And people were paralyzed. And Lewis wrote this. In one way, we think a great, too, a great deal too much of the atomic bomb. How or how we live in the atomic age. I'm tempted to reply, why... I would live as I lived in the 16th century, when the plague visited London almost every year. Or as you would have lived in the Viking Age, when raiders from Scandinavia might land and cut your throat any night. Or indeed, as you already are living in an age of cancer, paralysis, an age of air raids, an age of railway accidents, motor accidents. In other words, do not let this begin Do not let us begin by exaggerating the novelty of our situation. Believe me, dear sir or madam, you and all whom you love were already sentenced to death long before the atomic bomb was invented. And quite a high percentage of us are going to die in very unpleasant ways. We have indeed one great advantage over our ancestors, anesthetics. It is perfectly ridiculous to go about whimpering and drawing long faces because scientists have added one more chance of a painful and premature death to a world which already bristled with such chances and in which death itself was not a chance at all, but a certainty. The first action to be taken is to pull ourselves together. If we are going to be destroyed by an atomic bomb, let that bomb When it comes, find us doing sensible human things. Praying, working, teaching, reading, living our faith, going to church, bathing our children, playing sports, chatting to our friends over a pint and a game of darts. But let it not find us huddled together like frightened sheep thinking about bombs. They may break our bodies but they need not dominate our minds. I think the danger of listening to talks that we're giving, what my brother spoke on, is that we begin to live in fear of what may come, and that is not our goal. It is simply to refocus you on what matters most. Because here's the thing, you guys, you can work out I hate working out. I gotta have somebody, I have to have a coach that forces me to work out, who calls me and texts me to tell me I have to work out. I hate working out. I hate it. But you can you can work out, you can eat well, you can train, you're gonna die. We're all gonna die. And it's a short life. And we want to make the most of it. Are we living in unprecedented times? Maybe. But there is one thing for sure. None of us is getting out of this alive. 
And we can either accept this reality and live free in the freedom of the sons of God, the, 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 the freedom that has been purchased for us at the price of Christ's blood, knowing that we can't lose. We can't lose. Or we can hunker down in fear and control our lives. I had a friend, because you guys, to control, if you believe you have control in your life, you are living an illusion. And God, in his mercy, is going to shatter that illusion at some point. In his great love. I had a friend, his name was Jerry. Big farmer, rancher guy. Like his Sunday best, you know, would be like a flannel cut off here with his Wranglers in Copenhagen. You know, he'd hang his hat at the door. Just a monster of a man. He got diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. And in three months, he was dead. When I went to see him, I think it was three days before he passed, I went to see him and I said, Jerry, I'm going out to talk to the University of Mary. I'm going out to talk to all of these kids. Do you have any wisdom, anything that you've learned about life through this mess that you've been in? Because he was a faithful man too. He said, Father, you tell those kids two things. Number one, you don't control a damn thing. You think you do, but you really don't. And he said the second thing, if I could go back, I would take all that time that I worked and worked and worked and worked, and I'd get rid of half of it, and I'd spend it with my family. Because the only thing that matters in this life is relationship. And if you don't have that, you don't have anything. You know, Jerry figured it out. It cost him his life, but he figured it out. You see, the end of the world is coming in your lifetime. I don't know if you know that. (laughs) It is. And there's nothing you can do to stop it. You will see the second coming. All of you. In a hundred years, nobody in this church is going to be here. And yet we focus on the dumbest stuff. We waste so much of this precious time that God has given to us. And I think it's because we believe two lies. And you might sit back and say, Father, I don't believe that. But you do deep down when I tell you these. Number one, we really believe that we're strong and good. And we, we, the second thing, this lie, we tend to believe that God is actually weak. That he can't do things that he says he can. Or that he won't. But it's just the opposite, you guys. God is beyond powerful. I heard a a talk uh, probably two years ago from a priest. His name is Father John Ricardo. Great priest, great speaker. And he was trying to get the, the scope of the majesty of God into our hearts as priests. And he said, I just want to look at the created order. And he, when you think about this... How small and insignificant all of us are. The the, the universe is estimated, you guys, to be 90 billion light years across. How big is a light year? It is 5.8 trillion miles. So the universe from end to end is 522 sextillion miles. That's That's 500 with 21 zeros behind it. And we live on this little planet called Earth. 
And we're at St. Williams in this little town called... It's hard to say. Atascadero. I was going to try another way. Yeah. We're a pinpoint. And in this 522 sextillion miles of space, there are two trillion galaxies, they estimate. Each of them holding 100 to 400 billion stars. He made that effortlessly. He spoke. Let there be light. Boom. It was there. It cost him nothing. There are somewhere between 200 and 800 sextillion stars in the universe. That's 800 with 21 zeros behind it. To help you understand the scope of this, (laughs) this is crazy. Because you guys don't look shocked. If you took a grain of sand and each grain of sand symbolized a star in the universe and you built a sandcastle out of it, that sandcastle would be 35 miles wide 35 miles long and 35 miles high. You ever flown in a plane? You know how high you're flying? About seven miles. And every grain of sand is a star. And we are around one star. Another crazy image. Our sun is a relatively small star. You can fit roughly a million Earths into our sun. A million of our Earth into, the, into our sun. The largest star that we have got eyes on through the Hubble Space Telescope is called a variable hypergiant. You ready for this? <laughs> Do you know how many Earths can fit inside of this star? Seven quadrillion. Which is a seven with 15 zeros behind it. One star. Again, you guys don't look shocked enough, so I'm going to help you out just a little bit, okay? I'm going to have you count off to a million seconds, and it will take you 11 and a half days. I'm going to have you count off to a billion seconds, and it will take you 31 years. I'm going to have you count off to a trillion seconds, and it will take you 31,000 years. And I'm going to have you count off to a quadrillion, and it will take you 31 million years. There are seven quadrillion Earths that fit in this star. And it costs God nothing to do this. He doesn't care about it. It's easy for him. But you, for some unknown reason, you... He was willing to die for. And how have we responded? How have we responded? God is powerful beyond measure. And there is not a single thing any of you can do without him. I love in John 15, I am the vine, you are the branches. You can do nothing without me. Do you believe that? Or do you think you're pretty good on your own? Self-sustaining. But instead of clinging to God, instead of rallying close to the heart of Jesus, we spend time with the dumbest stuff. How much time do you spend in prayer every day? I'm talking real prayer. Relational prayer. Talking to Jesus. Being in communion with Him. I read an article, this is about five years ago. They said the average Christian, not even Catholic, Christian spends six and a half minutes per day. You cannot 
Call yourself a Christian and spend six and a half minutes per day. Could you imagine if you were married and spent six and a half minutes per day? Maybe some of you like that. I don't know. But... <laughs> what kind of relationship would you have? Wouldn't even know each other. We've got to start figuring out that this life is not about this life. It's about the next life. Otherwise, we're just going to spin our wheels. Man, I remember the, the Dalai Lama. That's a great quote. They asked him, they said, what surprises you most in this life? And he said, humans. Because man will sacrifice his health in order to make money. Then he sacrifices his money to recuperate his health. He is so anxious about the future, he doesn't live in the present. The result being, he does not live in the present or the future. He lives as if he's never going to die, and he dies never having really lived. Yeah, wow. So you are powerless. And you want to know the first place you're powerless? Is sin. You and I can't make up for our sins. All of us here have terribly hurt people. Many of us have been terribly hurt. And yet, on my way down here, I read a study... 45% of Catholics haven't been to confession since their first communion. We have a whole church probably in mortal sin. How are we going to ever have any power? You can't save yourself. You can't redeem yourself. Every single person in here is in desperate need of God's mercy. And I want to hammer something home right now. Because I'm on like a, a crusade in my priesthood. Don't tell me you're a good person. You're not. You're trying. I believe that. So am I. I'm trying to be a good person. But the vast majority of us are not that good. And we struggle every single day. But this is why we have a Savior. If you don't think you sin, you don't need a Savior. You're your own Savior. To the degree that you understand that you are capable of almost nothing except saying yes to God. When we get that deep into our hearts, then we will understand what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And then we might surrender and get behind him and let him lead. Most of us run from this reality. I promise you, you guys, you're going to go to confession. <laughs> you can tell everybody in your church this. At the end of your life, you are going to sit down with Jesus, as my brother said, and you're going to have a review of life. And at that point, you don't get to be like, wait, 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 time out, that, no, Jesus, not that one. You are standing with truth itself. It can't be wrong. And if you can't sit down with Jesus and the person of the priest who is a sinner, who understands sin, and confess to him, as I confess to another priest, you will never sit down with the Savior. You'll run like hell. You'll run to hell. Because we are powerless. You know, my brother and I, I had to step off for his last talk, so maybe you mentioned this, but we have a, we have a friend, his name is Deacon James Keating. And one of the things he, he always joked, well, didn't really joke about, it's serious, is he said, can you imagine the embarrassment when you get before Jesus and he says to you, you, you chose money over eternal life? You chose money over a relationship with me? You chose your own ego over a relationship with me? 
You chose work over a relationship with me? You chose fishing over a relationship with me? You chose football over a relationship with me? The embarrassment. A good friend of mine, he said he had a vision one time of the devil. And he said he had, he had, he was before, you know, like it, the image was is that he had, he had, he had chosen hell. Like he, he had the opportunity for eternal life and he just blew it. And he said the devil just walked up to him and he just looked at him and he said, you fool. How many chances did he give you? You fool. How many chances does God give us? How much does he ask? He wants our hearts. He doesn't want a piece of you. He wants the whole thing. To think that you don't need him or you could just be something on the side or a little part of your life is an illusion. And if that's where you're at right now, just keep living. Because I can testify right here that it ain't going to last. You're going to run into a massive storm. Many of you have already been through them. You know, it's interesting in Matthew 14 when Jesus sends his apostles into the storm. Do you ever think about that? It says that in the Bible. He sent them into the storm. And he does that to us. He sends us into storms. Why? Because he's mean, tyrant? No. He's trying to save us. That's why suffering, I am convinced, is still part of the human race. It's here to save us. Do you know in the last, since the year 2000, do you know which day had the highest mass attendance since the turn of the millennium? 9-11. 9-11. September 11th. It was actually September 12th. Because everybody was like, we, we can't, what do we, what do, we do? When, you, when you're up against an evil like that, what do you do? Oh, we're going to turn to him now. Don't wait. Because one day it will be too late. Your own power, your own strength will collapse sooner or later. And if it's going to get as bad as we think, the only thing you're going to have to hang on to is your faith if you want to get through this. And if you're here today and you feel weak and you're struggling and you're tired and you're frustrated and you're broken, good. Because now God can work. Now he can get through. You know, John Paul II said, it would be wrong to think that ordinary Christians can be content with a shallow prayer life, especially in the face of the many trials to which today's world subjects the faithful. They would not only be mediocre Christians, but Christians at risk of losing their faith. He goes on to say this, only through the Eucharist is it possible to live the heroic virtues of Christianity. Charity to the point of forgiving one's enemies. Love for those who make us suffer. Chastity in every age and situation of life. Patience and suffering. You must always be Eucharistic souls in order to be authentic Christians. I don't think we are Eucharistic souls. I don't think the church is Eucharistic. 
A recent poll said that 23% of Christians actually believe the Eucharist is Jesus. What happened? I think we're a lot like the Israelites. You know when the Israelites get out of Egypt and they're wandering for 40 years and they're eating the manna and at one point they just flip out on Moses. God bless Moses. That poor guy. I mean, they finally get to him and they say, why did you bring us out here to die? And we're sick of this wretched bread. That was the bread of the angels. The manna. The miracle in the desert. We're sick of this wretched bread? That sounds like the Catholic Church. And why? Why were they sick of it? You know, I've been thinking a lot about this lately, and I'm not sure, but I'm pretty sure I'm right. I'm not entirely sure I'm right. But I think that the greatest rebuke that God gives in the Old Testament is two words. You forgot. You forgot. The greatest enemy to the Christian spiritual life is a short-term memory. We are a faith of remembering what has been done for us. He says it over and over and over again. You forgot, you forgot, you forgot. I was the one that freed you from slavery. I was the one that took you out of that mess. And he has taken us out of a mess of slavery that is infinite worse than any Pharaoh could give to us. We were in bondage to the enemy of human nature itself. But we forgot. You know, this, I was on sabbatical a few years ago, and my brother mentioned the, 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 the seven churches of Revelation. And I remember I was on sabbatical and I was praying. And I was just like, Jesus, like, what do you want this time to be about? Because it's a time of prayer and rest and, 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 and continuing education. I said, what do you want this to be about? And he just took me to the, the church of Ephesus In Revelation 3, it says this. It's almost like the Lord is speaking right to me. I know your works, your labor, your endurance, and that you cannot tolerate the wicked. Moreover, you have endurance and have suffered for my name, and you haven't grown weary. Yet I hold this one thing against you. You forgot the love you once had. That broke me. You forgot the love you once had. And that happens in priest life. What about married life? Did you forget the love that you once had? What about faith life? Have you forgotten what's been done for you? Who died for you? You! Not the collective church. You! We forgot. And when you forget, you go after all types of other types of saviors, political, economic, whatever. A couple years ago, I was at the World Trade Center Memorial. You remember the, right after it happened, you remember the motto that they came up with? You remember what it was? Never forget. And I'm walking around where the two towers were, and there's a Starbucks. And there's a kid playing frisbee with his friend. And there's people taking Instagram photos. And there's people posing. And as I stand there with tears in my eyes, remembering that where I'm standing, right here, there were dead bodies falling from the sky. Nobody remembers. 
We've all forgot. And it's killing our families, it's killing our churches, it's killing us. We must remember that there is only one Savior. And He desired to be with so much in our struggles, in our storms, that He left us His very self so we could always come to Him. We could always be with Him. You know, to be a Christian, you're not spared any of the things that anybody else in this world is. You know? You don't get magically rescued from all the problems. We don't get a genie in a bottle who comes out and gives us whatever we want, our beck and call. We, don't, we already don't get much of this. We're not going to get any of it in the future, and that's called respect. But what do you get? Have you ever thought about this? What does the faith give you? If somebody came up to you and said, why should I be a Christian? Would you be able to tell them? I think Jesus does many things for us. First, he gives us salvation. That's a big one. Freedom from sin and death. But I think he does three things for us. You know, Jesus, the the word Savior comes from a Latin word that means health. And I think that following Jesus makes you healthy. And he does it in three ways. Our minds, our choices, and our hearts. First, your mind. To choose to follow Jesus, which is a way of inviting him into, not, not, just, not just following from a distance, inviting him to everything. You begin to see in a different way. Life changes. It's a magical world for the Christian. Because everything has meaning. I remember it was about five years ago, I had an echocardiogram. I don't have anything wrong with me, don't worry. <clears throat> um, but... When they do this, it is the weirdest thing ever. They like smear gel on your chest and then they take a, I think it's an ultrasound, and they move it around. And you can look at a screen and you can see your heart. I've never seen my heart. Have any of you seen your heart? That's crazy. I mean, I know I have one. Maybe you don't think I do. (laughs) I have a heart. But I've never seen it. That's something what faith is like. You look at a situation and you don't see just a tragedy. You see God's hand in there. And it's such a more beautiful way to live. And in doing that, when you begin to see differently, you begin to choose differently. And you choose what he asks you to choose. And you live the way that he asks you to live. And then that affects our hearts because our hearts become free. If I could give you just one way to remember, actually two, one I already talked about, go to confession, because when you go to confession, you can remember that you're not as good as you think you are. And then come and spend time here. And be at the feet of the one who rescued you from the grip of sin and death, where you were powerless. And put a power into you that if tapped and understood correctly will change the world. Never forget. Anytime you get into a situation that we're in right now and you say, what am I going to do? Twelve men. Twelve uneducated losers. I say no offense. 
They were. Read it. I mean, the the guys were not that smart. These 12 guys single-handedly demolished the Roman Empire. And that's how God loves to work. He's in the littleness, man. In the little things, little choices everywhere. And so spend time with him. And I know it's hard. You know, I really do know it's hard. But the problem is, is the world right now, they need saints. They don't need to hear about saints. There's a great saying in Italy. The Italians always said it. They never lived any of it, but they always, they always said it. They said, Basta con la testimonianza, abbiamo testimoni. Stop talking about witnesses and be one. Right? Go out and be one. That's how we change the world. That's how we usher in this era of peace. And when people see what we have, they should want it. They should want it. And we should be able to give it to them. So as you have time here, we're going to pray some time with the Blessed Sacrament to remember, to read the scriptures, to remember where you came from. Because when you forget where you came from, you forget who you are. Remember Bishop Austin Vetter, his dad, when he had it, when, see, for you guys, you're, none of you are from North Dakota. So there's this little town in North Dakota called Linton, North Dakota. And it's about 5,000 people. And once a year, the Vetter family has their reunion. And there are over 1,000 Vetters that show up. And they take the sign of Linton and they cover it. And it says Vetterville for a week. And when Bishop Austin Vetter got ordained a priest, it was such a big family, they had to have it outside. And after the Mass was over, his dad said, come here, I want you to see something. And he took him over and there was a little plaque, a brass plaque in the ground. And he said to him, he said, look at that, Austin, read it. And it said, Father Austin Anthony Vetter, ordained a priest on this date. Never forget where you came from. Don't you ever forget you were a poor little farm boy. Don't you let your ego get into your head and think you're somebody that you're not. Never forget where you came from. And all of us right here, we came from slavery. We came from a nightmare. And there is one person that has saved us. And we owe him everything. Our hearts, our minds, our bodies, our families, our world. I want to close with this quote from a priest. His name is Father Henry Nowen. He said, why should I spend time in prayer every day when I do nothing but think about women I could marry, (laughs) friends, books I could write, people that annoy me, and all those stupid things that grab my mind? My mind is never centered on God, it seems. The answer is this, because God is greater than my mind and my heart. And what is really happening in the house of prayer is not measurable in terms of human success or failure. What I must first of all do is be faithful. If I believe, and I mean I really believe that the first commandment is to love God with my whole heart, mind, soul, and body, then I should at least be able to spend time with Him every day. 
The question as to whether it is helpful, useful, practical, or fruitful is completely irrelevant, since the only reason to love is love itself. Everything else is secondary. The remarkable thing, however, is that sitting in the presence of God for one hour each morning, day after day, week after week, month after month, in total confusion, bombarded with distractions, radically changes my life. God, who loves me so much that he sent his own son not to condemn me, but to save me, does not leave me waiting in the dark too long. I might think that each of these hours is useless, but after 30 or 60 or 90 such useless hours, I gradually realize that I am not alone. A very small, gentle voice has been speaking to me far beyond my noisy place. So be confident and trust the Lord and know that you are never alone. So rally close to the heart of Jesus in confession and through Eucharistic adoration and prayer and realize that you're not alone. You've been saved. You've been set free. And you are incredibly powerful. And the devil knows it. This is what I believe will usher in the reign of peace when we really take God at his word. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Jesus, we thank you for this time. We thank you for these faithful souls. We ask you to plant deep in their heart the graces that they have received. Give them faith beyond measure. Help them to know in you they are powerful and that one person can change the course of history. We ask that you bless them, protect them from the enemy, and send them forth from here into a world of hopelessness, that they may be bright lights shining to a world that needs it so desperately. And may Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.